A lot of people have goals, visions, ideas of what the dog that they are getting or have should be. But is that something that's realistic? Is that something we should hold our dogs to? Well, on today's episode, that's what we're going to be talking about. Training the dog that's in front of you. Let's go ahead and go over that next. Hey guys, what's up? This is Jake from OnDogTrainingAcademy.com. We're an online dog training business. Uh, if, if you're looking for a course, if you're looking for webinars, if you're looking for one-on-one lessons, like if you're listening to these podcasts week after week, and I sure hope you do, and if you do, I appreciate it, and you go, you know what? I would really like to talk to him more, ask him questions, specific questions, maybe something about your own dog, and, and get some training advice. We do one-on-one lessons um, virtually, and you can certainly schedule that through our ondogtrainingacademy.com website. You just click on live events, you can go to one-on-ones, and you should be able to see us right there and schedule it to the you know whatever's convenient for you guys. So make sure you check that out. Also, we're on Facebook. Um, we, have a pay, we have a couple pages there. We have our Learn, Laugh, Bark podcast page. We have our On Dog Training Academy page, and both of those places you can go on, you can leave comments, you can you can um, let me know what you'd like to hear, you can send me messages via those those apps as well, uh, just to to ask questions. So definitely check those out as well. So today's episode or this week's episode, I should say, is is really I think a, a really important one, and it's been covered before, but I I've been dealing a lot lately with people who. Um, kind of need or I feel like are kind of missing some things when it comes to this. And that's why today's topic is training or this week's topic is training the dog that's in front of you and kind of what that actually means. You know, when I think of when I think of training the dogs, the dog I have in front of me, it really brings me back to <clears throat> my own dogs. So uh, the the first dog we ever got when we moved out um, and, and started you know living on our own was a basset hound named Copper. Now, I loved Copper. He lived to be almost 12, um, but he was a basset hound, right? So you talk about a dog who's a little more stubborn, a little more headstrong, um, was super smart. Like, like I always tell people, you can think your dog is dumb, but if it's because they're not listening, and you, it normally is more because the dog has figured out how to manipulate you more than your dog is just being stupid. Like I don't actually believe um, that most dogs are not intelligent. I think they just learn how to work the system, and they just figure that stuff out so we have this basset out he's in my opinion absolutely brilliant not in a good way um very headstrong like i said he, he learned how to challenge us he learned how to to try and, and, and mess with us and you know it took a while to get him to a point where we really enjoyed him like constantly enjoyed him you know and and then we went out and we got another dog named Cato. Cato was a Belgian Malinois. Um, he unfortunately passed away at four and a half to cancer. He got bone cancer. But in those four and a half years, I learned a ton from him. He was my first sport dog. And so what I was able to do is start to, to learn the sport that I am still currently super passionate about. Um, but my training that I did with him and with Copper were so different. I'm dealing with one dog, a Malinois, who's very smart, high energy and willing to a dog and another dog who's a basset hound who's smart but stubborn and less willing to do the things I want him to do. And so I couldn't go into the, that approach the same. 
And that to me was super obvious, right? Like I was like, okay, well, uh, two different breeds, whatever. Like that makes a lot of sense. But what happens when you have the same breed? All right, so Cato dies and, you know, it took about a year and a half, almost two years before we felt ready because Cato was our world. Um, when we felt ready to get another dog, we had copper still, but bring another dog into our family. And when we finally did, we, we picked a breeder, we did the research, whatever. We brought in another Malinois because we just absolutely love that breed. And his name is Luda. He's still currently here. He's six. He's awesome. And when I first got him getting into the training, obviously, as anybody who does any sort of sport work or anything with their dog could probably agree to this, you have ideas. Like you've, you've learned from mistakes you maybe made in the previous dog, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do this differently. Um, but if you have just pet dogs, and let's say you're going from one pet dog to the other, let's say you're going from a lab to a lab, or you're, even if you're switching breeds, you know, all you're wanting is just a good dog. Well, the hard thing, and I even struggled with this at times with Luda, is trying to compare the two dogs together. Now, I'm not saying you can't. I still, to this day, We'll go, okay, well, I'm looking at Kato, and the sport I do is called Mondial Ring. So I look at Kato, and I'm like, as a Mondial Ring sport dog, Kato was way better than Luda. But as an all-around dog, I like what Luda brings to the table more than what Kato did. And so I am comparing them. But what I don't do is I don't hold it against them. I'm not going to go, well, my last dog didn't do this, and now you're doing this, ugh. You know, my last dog was easier to train. You're so difficult. And like holding that against the dog, it's not the dog's fault that they're, they're t- more difficult to train. It's just the personality of the dog. So that's kind of the first tip I want to give you guys when it comes to training the dog that's in front of you is focus on what you have, not what you had. You know, don't look at, well, you know, Cato did this so much better. Why aren't you doing this this good? Why aren't, you know, I know how to train it. Why aren't you doing better? Maybe he just doesn't have it in him to be the level that the other dog was. Maybe he's, you know, maybe your dog, your new dog compared to your old dog is way more hyper. At the same time, maybe you forgot, <clears throat> especially with puppies, maybe you forgot how much work your your older dog was because, I mean, they call it puppy amnesia for a reason. We forget sometimes how much work goes into raising a puppy. We don't because we literally do it every year with, with client dogs, but a lot of people seem to forget, you know, if you go 10, 12 years without getting a puppy, suddenly you get a puppy and you're like, "Mm, my last dog wasn't this hard. Maybe it was and you just forgot. Um, But but focus on what you have in front of you. Don't be so focused on what your other dog did great. Focus on the dog you have and how you can get your dog to a point that you enjoy your dog. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, I think a big tip when it comes to training the dog in front of you isn't, again, holding it to a standard of what your other dogs were. It's it's understanding your dog. You know, understanding what you have, <clears throat> excuse me, what you have in front of you, right? So if you look at your dog and, and, and you know your dog's strengths, you know your dog's weaknesses, and then you can come up with a plan on how am I going to address these? How am I going to work on these? Is there things I can do to take something they're doing really good and tie it into something they're not good at to make them, to make that thing that they're not good at kind of grow and catch up? You know, uh, I'll give you a really good example. So Luda, one of Luda's uh, kryptonites are children. 
he's <clears throat> we don't have kids so he doesn't get around a ton of kids very often so when he is around kids being a herding dog being a high drive dog he sees the kids and it's a lot of energy for him and it's a little bit stressful for him to to have to be around them and, and he doesn't he won't like like outwardly go crazy but he does he does a lot of leaning on me a lot of indications that he's uncomfortable he'll low level growl just because he's he's nervous you know I don't let kids approach him just because of this reason because he's uncomfortable and I'm not going to put him into a situation that I think could set him up for potential failure um so what I started to do is I came up with a plan okay well what's one of his weaknesses children what's one of his strengths playing with toys now you might go well the logical connection there is then to have kids play with toys and I, I don't agree with that my connection was I'm going to take his favorite toy I'm going to go somewhere with something he doesn't like, so children, so I'm going to go to a park, I'm going to be very far away from them, and I'm going to start playing with him. I'm going to do something that's fun. This is the same thing I suggest to people if they have dogs who have like phobias to thunder and stuff. Associate something great with something that's not great to build up the thing that's not great. Now, the important thing that I'm doing here is I'm making sure that the thing that is great kind of trumps the fear or trumps the, the, the issue, right? So... You know, I'm not going to say, well, be around kids and then he enjoys doing healing, so I'm going to make him heal around kids. Yeah, healing's fun for him, but it's not like high value enough where he's going to like forget about the kids or something. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to tie these in together. But what it does is it's taking, it's, it's, it's teaching me to really recognize what my dog does well and what my dog doesn't do well. Again, I'm not going to hold him to the standard of Cato where, well, I could have Cato around other dogs. I traveled to Italy with Cato and... He did fine. We took him to uh, a lot of different events and a lot of different things, and he handled it just fine. Well, why can't Luda do that as well? You know, I'm not doing things like that. I'm, I'm looking at the dog in front of me, and I'm, I'm figuring out the strengths and weaknesses, and I'm trying to make them work to get to whatever goal I might have with it. Um, the other thing, too, is like <clears throat> be, be willing to kind of bend and flex um, I like to have a plan, so I'll develop a plan when I get a puppy. I'll develop a plan. I'll go into it. I'll be like, okay, this is this is what um, my goals are with the dog. But I always say, I always say, going when I go into these things, if my dog doesn't like X, I will shift. And what I mean by that is like, okay, so again, Mondial Ring is my sport. It's what I love to do. But I, I said time after time, I'm not someone who's going to uh, what we call wash a dog because they're not a good sport prospect, the dog's going to be with me forever. If I get a puppy, it's with me for life. And I like that mentality. I suggest people have that mentality. Obviously, there are circumstances that don't allow you to keep the dog. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into all what that all could be, but there's a lot of different situations that could be that. Um, but really, I go into it, we go into it where it's like, this is our dog. For better or for worse, we're going to just do the best we can with this dog. And... <clears throat> And, but I always said, you know, in Mondio Ring, well, if he doesn't work out, we're going to find something else for him to do that he really likes. You know, he loves nose work. He loves AKC obedience. Um, we're doing tracking stuff with him now. Like, there's a lot of different things that we've been doing. Even though he's good in Mondio Ring, he's a good sport dog. Um, we found other things that we can also enjoy. And now that he's six, we're sort of like half retired with the sport. And so with him, and so we're um, focusing on those other things that are fun. But... <clears throat> But I'm not going to stay like rigid. I'm not going to be like, no, I got you to be a Mondio dog. You're going to do it whether you like it or not. You know, you could do this with a pet dog. So I got you as a pet dog, and my goal is to, to take you to baseball games. 
and the dog can't handle it. Well, it doesn't mean you're going to completely get rid of the dog. It might just mean you pivot a little bit. Well, we can't do baseball games yet. Maybe we do parking lots. Maybe we do something else. Maybe it just doesn't work. You know, you have to be willing to bend and flex a little bit in order to kind of, I think, help maximize what your dog's possibilities are. You know, if you stay rigid on something, you could end up ruining the dog and, and that's a problem. Take a dog like, like even when I come to like training styles, um, to me, training styles, this is a huge one. This is an absolutely huge one. And, and obviously we talk to and deal with a ton of dog trainers and, we all have kind of our, our processes. We all have like our st- like steps, like how we train dogs, how we get them to, to do healing and sits and downs and all these different things, how we get them um, desensitized or counter conditioned to distractions, stimulations, whatever. And so it, it it's, but I, I do think it's important to have a process that you would like to go a baseline of how you like to train things, but then be willing to shift if it's not working. Um, Take, for instance, food. Like, I, I, I train dogs with food. I do a lot of, of treat training and stuff like that. But what do I do if a dog doesn't like treats? I mean, I can't just continue to try and feed the dog. If the dog is saying, I'm not that interested in it, I need to come up with something different. Well, if the dog prefers toys over food, I'm going to shift. I'm going to use toys instead of food. If, <clears throat> excuse me. If the dog needs less corrections, if the dog needs more corrections, I'm willing to shift and flex to these things and just kind of mold my training around what my dog needs. Um, more so than, you know, like, <clears throat> you'll have people that say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll never do X, Y, Z. I think saying you never will handicaps you to a point. I will never say I never will use X, Y, Z. Now, I might say I don't want to. I might say I'm against it to a point, but in the end, if I've, I've exhausted other options and my dog still needs help, well, I'd rather, especially if it's a behavior thing, I'd rather try the thing I said I don't want to do than not do it and be, have that thing be the thing that works. You know, I want my dog to thrive. And if it takes doing something that I'm slightly uncomfortable with or maybe don't completely agree with, well, then that's what I'm going to do. You know, I always adjust it. You have dogs who cannot take corrections. You have dogs who can take corrections. You have dogs who are super sensitive. You have dogs who are super stubborn. You have dogs who are super sensitive and super stubborn at the same time. Every dog is different, you know, and and we have to be able to make compromises and shift our training and everything. Think of it as a marriage. You know, when two people are getting into marriage, I mean, I've been married for, I feel like I've said this on the podcast before and now I don't even remember. Shoots. I want to say it's like 15 years. 16 years? Oh, crap. I think we're at 16 years now. <clears throat> Anyways, so I've been married for a while, long enough to forget, apparently. And um, looking at the person I was getting into the marriage, looking at who my wife was getting into marriage, we're different people now. And that's not a bad thing. We've been able to adjust and tweak and and, 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 and kind of shift how we act, who we are, to make sure that we're the best version of that person of, of what we need for that other person. And I think it's the same with the dog. I'm going to create, I'm going to be the best person I can be for my dog, no matter what that means. That might mean changing training styles, training, tra- changing training philosophies. That might mean, you know, being more active. It might mean being more, uh, doing more like training, spending more time with the dog. It might mean shifting sports. There's so many different things that I, as a person can do 
to improve my dog's well-being and behavior. So I focus on, I've already said this, but I'm focusing on the dog that's in front of me and what I can do to maximize that dog. Not saying, well, this is what I want and, and, and this is what's going to be. Um, which kind of gets into, I kind of already mentioned this, but it's, it's on my list here and I want to touch on it is, is, and it's almost an echo of what I was just saying, is don't be hell-bent on sticking with one way. Don't be hell-bent on it. Don't, don't be like, well, this is how I grew up raising dogs, so this is how we raise dogs. It depends, right? It depends on the dog. It depends on what you're expecting of this dog, and it depends on your lifestyle. There's so many things that you that are probably different than how you were growing up. You know, well, you lived on a farm, now you live in an apartment. Well, guess what? You can't train the dog the same way. You just can't. You know, you have you went from having a basset hound to having, well, for instance, a Malinois. You can't train the same way. Not necessarily. They're just different dogs, different personalities, different energies. Things have to be adjusted and switched. Um, and the last one then is stop holding your dog to a fake standard, what I would call. Um, a fake standard is, well, okay, the best example, and this was something I, I, well, I didn't deal with growing up, but something you saw, and you still see it now, but <clears throat> maybe it's a little better, is um, like all these like fashion magazines, and you see these skinny models, right? And so people strive to be that. That was like their standard. Like, okay, I have to go be that person. And whether it would be just genetics or whatever, you weren't going to get to that point. You're not going to be that skinny model. That doesn't, that's not a bad thing. It's just understanding that that might not be real for you. Don't, don't hold yourself to that fake standard because you're going to end up disappointed and depressed. And it's the same thing with, with dogs. I'm not going to hold a dog to a fake standard because I saw a dog on, on, on TV or I've been on social media and I've seen these dogs doing all these fun tricks. Look, to get the dogs to do a lot of the stuff you see on TV takes a ton and ton of work. To get dogs to do fancy tricks and all this stuff takes a lot of work and training. And maybe you either don't know how to train that or you don't have the time or maybe your dog just isn't that type of dog. I hate to say this, but I get this a lot with people who get dogs, say they rescue a dog, say whatever, and they get certain breeds and they're like, I want this to be my service dog. And I look at them and I look at the breed and I go, what drew you to that breed? And their answers typically are, I've wanted one forever. Uh, I got a good deal on it. Uh, I rescued it. You know, whatever it might be, never, well, I don't say never, but a lot of times what I'm not hearing is this dog matches what I need it to do. This dog matches my personality. This dog has the skills I need. If I have a, if I, if my requirement for a service dog is to take this dog to high level energy, high energy public places, then I'm probably not going to get a breed that's susceptible to being more difficult with those things. I might go with an easier breed. And so I think, you know, you need to, you need to, to understand, you know, what you're getting and what you can get out of that dog. Don't say I'm getting a breed that that's not great around crowds and I expect it and the standard is to be around crowds like I've seen on TV. You know, um you just you just have to be careful with that. You have to be absolutely careful with that because if you're holding your dog to a fake standard, you you're going to end up being more disappointed than than anything. One more example and then I'll kind of put a wrap on this on this video. I know we're getting a little long. And this this comes directly from my wife. You know, we were talking. Um, she's got some some family in Iowa, and they were 
they had a dog that was staying home that a farm dog could be loose all day and she's just like why can't we do that like why why do we have a i mean she was just talking kind of hypothetically like why can't we have why do we have to have a fenced in yard why can't, why doesn't our dog just stay home and you know i mean i think it's a fair answer you'll see farm dogs and you know whatever they they're they're staying home they're they're doing what they do they're not running off but when you really dig into it you start to realize they went through like six dogs i think we actually counted like three or four before they got a dog who was willing to do this and what happened is those dogs would go out on the road and get hit by a car <clears throat> and i actually think in the end the dog she referenced did go out on the road and get hit by a car so it's really you can you can compare and say well why can't my dog be this way um, I have one more example after this. I apologize, but why can't my dog be this way? Well, your dog could, but you're also playing the chances that your dog is going to end up getting hit by a car. And how are you going to handle that emotionally? Are you willing to go through four dogs, five dogs, three dogs, two dogs, even to get to the one that, that you want? I personally am not, I'm not willing to risk my dog's safety. I, I, put a lot of emotion and time and training into my dogs. I get very attached to them. You know, if anybody follows us on on social, anything like on Facebook or anything like that, you'll see videos of Luda up. This dog is, our, I don't like calling them our children, but they're the closest thing to a kid that we have. Cato was as well, and Copper was too. So understanding losing these animals is absolutely just crushing. And so I don't want to risk that happening with something that might just be like a stupid mistake or, or something stupid. Like, well, I could have tied my dog out, but <clears throat> I want to have a dog that doesn't run away. I want, so I'm just going to let him figure it out. Well, I'm not willing to risk that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so, so just kind of trying to, to make sure that we're, we're good with that. I had one more example and now it's, it's slipping my mind. It's not, it's obviously not the, uh, the end of the world, but holding your dog, I think just to a fake standard, it's it's unhealthy. It's completely unhealthy. So hopefully you guys kind of listen to this. Hopefully you you're, you're getting something out of out of what I'm talking about here, where you want to really focus on what you have, not what you had. You want to make sure that you're training the dog in front of you and not trying to hold it to the standards or expectations that dogs in the past or dogs you've seen on social media or even your own training pride. That's killer for dog trainers. They have so much training pride that when their method doesn't work, then they have a problem. And it's the dog's fault, not theirs. I'll tell you what, if your dog is struggling in training, very seldom is it the dog's problem. It's either something you're doing wrong or something that you've created in the dog that is causing the struggle. So stop blaming the dog and and really just think about what you can do to adjust your own training to improve, adjust yourself to improve your dog. So hopefully, guys, that was helpful. Um, I say this every week. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, like, like this video, leave a comment, uh, subscribe to our channel. If you're listening to this on any of our podcast platforms, thank you guys for listening. Um, you too can jump onto Facebook. You can jump into our Facebook pages. You can leave comments. You can do whatever. We really appreciate it. 
Um, we're kind of stuck at a low number of subscribers. It's just been sitting there and I've, I'd love to see this jump. Um, so if you're listening and you, on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, guys. It helps the algorithm. It gets our, our voice out there more. And um, as we start to grow and we get bigger, our content is going to become even better. Uh, and we plan on doing more things. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, check out OnDogTrainingAcademy.com, guys. And as always, we'll see you next week. Thank you.